there, movie geeks. We're back. Tonight is uh, Blu-ray night. Mm-hmm. So we'll be talking about... Uh, you know why I like Blu-ray night? Because it gives us a chance to talk about six, like 50, 60 movies like mm-hmm. in one shot. Yeah. I mean, it's that's something else. Yeah. Uh, uh, so how are you guys doing? <laughs> doing pretty good. Good. Very well. Yep. Uh, uh, you saw Green Book, right? I did, yes. Saw that last night. Yeah, I, I have to say, I really, really liked it. Um, I think the performance by Viggo Mortensen and uh, Marshall Ali, those are Oscar-worthy for sure. If they don't get some some Oscar love, there's something wrong, bad wrong. Um, you know, this is it is directed by Peter Farrelly, you know, of the Farrelly Brothers. So anybody expecting nuance... <laughs> with this movie, <laughs> don't don't be expecting that because you know this is this is not that kind of a movie. But their performances are so great that they just kind of gloss over any imperfections that the movie might have had they not been in it. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just yeah. it, it kind of put me in mind of something like Driving Miss Daisy, you know, because you've got these two people who don't really care for each other much as the movie starts but they gradually begin to um to to warm up to each other and by the, the time the movie is over with they really have an affection and, and love for each other and, and you can tell that you know it's, so it's it's a it's kind of a their growth is subtle but some of the the, the messages are are not so subtle but um you know the the plot of for anybody listening who doesn't know, it's about these. Uh, takes place in 1962, and Viggo Mortensen's out of work, and so he's tasked with driving Marshall Ali's character across the country in the in the deep south because he's a jazz musician, and he's obviously being African American. It's tough for him to find lodging, shall we say, during this this time of our recent. Doesn't it seems like it was a long time ago, but. I don't know, I guess 50 years isn't really that long when you think about it. But anyway, uh, they have a green book that tells them where they can stay, where um, these uh, African-Americans will not be, you know, where they'll let them stay and and not harass them. And so anyway, that's essentially what it is. It's a road trip movie, but um, beautifully well done and and I'm not sure if Marshall Ali knows how to play the piano or if he, his head was just digitally inserted onto somebody who does know how. But, man, he's faking it well either way, or he's oh. either playing it well. I'm not sure. Well, you know, this is a familiar terrain for Peter Farrelly because me, myself, and Irene is a road movie. <laughs> <laughs> Different kind of road movie. Different kind of road movie. But, um, well, yeah. so is Dumb and Dumber. So. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah, that's but, true. You know, man. I was thinking about it, though. This is probably going to be one of my favorite movies this year so far. And, you know, three of my favorite movies this year are about the struggles of African Americans. Hate The Hate You Give, Black Klansman, and this one. I just adore all three of those movies. And um, I don't know. This is a year when, when they're they're doing these movies, but they're getting it right. Whereas, you know, Moonlighting came out two years ago. I didn't respond to it at all, to be honest. It just didn't do much for me. I've rewatched Moonlight, and, and, I, and I dig it now. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I liked it better. Well, maybe I need to go back and revisit Moonlight, but anyway, I uh, it, it did not. Uh, and, you know, it's and, interesting and again, to me though, uh, Adam, because you yeah. raved about the hate you give last week, and uh, and I have no uh, no reason to doubt you. Um, 
and I'm more excited to see the movie now that after I heard what your thoughts on it are. But my first reaction to the trailers is that it looks like an after-school special. And yeah. my first reaction to Green Room, it looks like an adult version of an after-school special. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree with that. I know. The trailers for both of those really don't sell the, the merits of either movie, I have to admit. they They really just... They're they're not good trailers. I'll be the first to admit, but but the movies themselves are, are very effective. I think both of them are, and uh, I don't know. I, I just I love them both. I, I really did. And um, and um, of course I saw the um, the uh, Melissa McCarthy movie. Can you ever forgive me? Saw that on Monday. We had a press screening for that, and uh-huh. that's that's good. Uh, not as good as Green Book, but it's close. Is that a best actress for her? She's certainly good in it, uh, and I guess the thing that surprised me about it is this is um, the, the the gay subtext is something that I didn't expect them to. You know, that's a major thing, a major uh, undercurrent in this movie, because her character is, you know, she's she is a, a lesbian, but she doesn't flaunt it, and you it's so underplayed, but it's there, and and this is um this is a pro pro um, movie in that aspect for that for that thing so yeah this is kind of getting on the social bandwagon too i guess social issue bandwagon too but in a good way but yeah uh it's 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 darkly it's more of a drama isn't it it is comedy comedy. there's some dark comedy in it and and uh, richard e grant is is quite quite effective in it as well and but it's it's just great to see her stretch herself and Mm -hmm. try to do something different and uh she she is quite good in it and I just didn't respond to it quite as strongly as I did to to Green Book, but um, there's there's a lot to like about it, and I I didn't. Mm. And if you don't know the story, which I didn't, it's about this woman who made a career out of forging literary figures, uh, prominent literary figures' uh, signatures, uh, like Noel Coward and Dorothy Parker and people uh, like that, and she got away with it for a while. She was a a biographer before she got into all that, and then her. Her books weren't selling, and she couldn't get a job getting published, and so, you know, she had to do what she had to do, and and she, like I said, got away with it for a while until she didn't, and uh, but it's 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 good, it's good. So, man, I had a chance to go uh, last night to see Suspiria, <clears throat> and uh, I want to see it uh, very much, but uh, it was the end of a work day, and I was like, do I want to drive an hour out of town? Sit through a two and a half hour art film, <laughs> and then dri- and then drive an hour back after a long day of work. And I was like, uh, I'll watch it when it comes out next week, or, you know. But I, yeah. I am looking forward to it. No, me too. Yeah. The original is quite enough for me. I'm not a really Guadagnino fan, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of bloat there. Yeah. Yeah, but um, we had a yeah. man. That's one of those words that sounds exactly like it means. There's some, <laughs> there's some instances in the English Got language some, where they get it just right. Amount of uh, uh, what do they call it? Anonymia or automatopoeia? Uh, word automatopoeia, right? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. We also had Oddly enough, screen. the word onomatopoeia does not sound exactly right. <laughs> 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 yeah. But 
But I, uh, oh. yeah, the new Coen Brothers movie screened Monday as well. They unfortunately it coincided with the the Melissa McCarthy, so I had to take that because that was my designated movie to review this week. But for for the paper I write for, but uh, I did talk to one of my colleagues who saw the Coen Brothers movie, and uh, they they actually had it in a theater, which was was nice uh, considering it's a Netflix movie, which I guess bodes well for The Irishman. So maybe they're I'm not sure, yeah. but they're bending their roof, yeah. Yeah. So, but I heard uh, what I got from him though, and he's pretty reliable. That is that it wasn't that good. Uh, mm-hmm. A bunch of stories that really go nowhere. And yeah. Should have been fleshed out into a miniseries, which is what they originally intended to do, and they just decided to condense them all and, sh- and squeeze them into a movie, and it just doesn't quite work, is what I'm hearing. So. Don't like worry. a lot of those type of movies, probably only one or two episodes really work. Yeah, and, you know that's why that's why I've heard that that mm. maybe two of them work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, what, what have they got? Like what one dead in their arsenal of movies, which is uh, one or two killers. Yeah, uh, that was that was pretty bad. But uh, Hail yeah. Caesar, I wasn't crazy about. I, I wasn't crazy, crazy about that either. Which yeah. one? Just Hail, Hail Caesar. Caesar. It just didn't quite do it oh, for okay. me. Yeah. See, and I actually like some of uh, Intolerable Cruelty. Like, uh, uh, yeah, some uh, of that's I, fun. Yeah, it's yeah. a mixed bag. Yeah. yeah, so so sure. But how about Bohemian Rhapsody? Anybody see the screening on that? Oh, that's anybody? not a Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> oh, 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 no, no, no. I was just wondering if anybody had to jump Maybe they would have done a better job. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I have bad feelings about that. <laughs> The, well, uh, I did. I did see that one as well. <laughs> it's it's what we expected. It's a you know mass market. It's um, revisionist history aimed at the mass market for. Yeah. And that's exactly you know it's a PG thirteen movie about a guy whose life was hard R at at uh, at a minimum. Yeah. But um, I was just I don't know if you guys have this experience when you go see a movie. I mean, we all know musical biopics do this. They, you know, they play fast and loose with the facts of what really happened. But this movie was one of those that just, uh, it, it was worse than the usual thing that that you're seeing. And it was so bad. It was, I become hypersensitive to that thing when they do it to a certain degree. Like if if they do it so much, I just become hypersensitive to it. And I'm looking for it at a certain point where I can't yes. enjoy the movie. Right. And that's what this movie did. I mean, the, right out of the gate, 30 minutes into the movie, they're doing their first tour of America in 1975, and they're playing Fat Bottom Girls on their tour of America in 1970, a song that charted in 1979, of course. And it got worse. You know, it's there. interesting, but it, I mean, yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff is uh, lazy. Um, yeah. Even though I, I'm sure they just used it because. That was the song that they thought worked best, or whatever. But I mean, it's like what Dean and I always say that if if the truth is more interesting, then go with the truth. Exactly. Always, always, always. Yeah, and I was so shocked at this movie because it completely skipped the years 1977, 78, and 79. Most, wow, those are very key years. So. Oh my God, that's some of the most creatively fertile. Years that the band had. I mean, you're you're talking about they they skipped the uh, the creation of the albums Day at the Races, Jazz, 
Yeah. And there's one other one. Uh, no, I was, um, trying to uh, news of the world. That's the other one. Oh yeah. wow, that's crazy. That is nuts. They they missed that last one. Uh, yeah. yeah. I wish they could get those things right. You know. Uh, yeah. And and then there's a scene in 1980 when they're when they're in the back of a limo and 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 the uh, their manager says to Freddie Mercury he says now remember you have the MTV uh, interview this afternoon MTV didn't exist until August of 1981 what <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, wow and it's just uh, and the worst I think the worst was this one there it shows them you know they're the, supposedly the band has broken up and they're getting them back together for Live Aid okay. So he goes in and he's basically, according to this movie, attempted a solo album that didn't that went nowhere. And he's coming back to eat some humble pie and ask the the band to to swallow his mea culpas or whatever he's got to do to you know get the band back together. And so he goes in and he he goes into him and he says, "Now listen, guys, I know we we haven't been together in a couple of years. A couple of years. They had a top forty hit the year before, Radio Gaga, and an album called The Works." Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, Brian Singer isn't the best at dates. I mean, he had no idea those boys were underage. But the, the, other, the other thing is, is it surprised me because a lot of sometimes Aaron has this thing where he's reviewing top forty songs from the seventies. Yeah. He's like the Rain Man of that kind of thing. So he'll call me and say, and say three Manilow songs charted in seventy-seven. What were they? And I, I was like, well, it would be this one and this one because those were the songs that he came out with that year. But no, like every time, those are songs on albums that came out two or three years earlier, and they mm. were just charting, mm-hmm. which is weird. I, I, it's it's a phenomenon from that era, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, it is odd. I mean, it's like um, I think a good example of that would be "Time in a Bottle" by Jim Croce, which was actually on his first album, and it, he had already released two other albums past that when when it was released. Yeah. And the only reason was was because there was a TV movie called "She Lives" with uh, Desi Arnaz Jr. It's kind of like a, a made-for-TV knockoff on uh, or very you know, yeah, it's like a love story. story. Yeah. yeah. And and so they were looking for contemporary songs, and they pulled out a Croce album and heard Time in a Bottle. They said, oh, this is perfect for a movie. They put it in, and they were so inundated with requests for the song that the label said, okay, let's put it out. And, and of course, wow. we know the rest of the story. But it is amazing. You're right, Things how things like that happen. Yeah, especially considering how disposable things are today. Yeah. 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 Nothing has staying power anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, Dean. So, have you seen anything? I've only watched old stuff, and I'm sure you're probably. I'm I'm it. just watching old stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I just watching old things. Finally, oh I yeah, did watch that. What did yeah. you think? It's here. I like Spike Lee. I don't feel like I can give a, a, a any kind of unique perspective on the movie um, that hasn't already been said. Uh, mm. I thought it was. I did not think it was top tier Spike Lee. I thought it was really good m- m- mid Spike Lee mm-hmm. for for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's fair. But, uh, yeah. Sure, yeah. Uh, Adam Driver's really good. Uh, it would be good if Adam Driver could get a supporting nomination or if Black Klansman can be recognized in some fashion. Uh, I hope so. 
the photography and the costumes were really great. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh yeah, I, I I still think it's one of the better movies of the year. But uh yeah, I I totally understand your your reaction. Yeah. Uh, and then I rewatched I haven't seen this since it came out 20 whatever years ago, uh Copycat. And uh oh, yeah. that's a pretty that's a pretty decent serial killer movie. It was. It's okay. This isn't, this isn't a total schlock. No, but, you know, compared to something like Seven or something, it's it's nothing, you know. Yeah, it came out around that same time, too. Yeah. I mean, well, it kind of yeah. suffered I mean, uh, you, you could say that about most serial killer movies. Uh, I mean, because I think Seven really mm-hmm. upped the game, and this came out it like, did. right on the heels of that. But, I mean, what makes it, what makes it good, I mean, it's an intriguing concept, but copycat of other killers but um it's the fact that Sigourney Weaver and Holly Hunter are in it you know like mm-hmm. that, that's that's a dynamic uh that sets it apart a little bit on its own yes I agree and then, of course Harry yeah. Connick Jr. I mean who can resist I watch <laughs> Mr. Brooks Pope, Pope floats so does shit <laughs> <laughs> okay Mr. Brooks yes I thought that was uh pretty good uh, the best uh, I'd seen um, Kevin Costner do in a little while, and uh, and uh, that comedian Dane Dane Cook is it? Oh yeah, uh, forgot about that. But uh, but he was all right, so that's a miracle. And uh, <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was about a multi-million dollar multi-millionaire. Uh, Zero killer, you know. Yeah, and what makes that movie unique is that William Hurt is his id or something. Yeah, his uh, his uh, walking talking id. Yes, yeah. that was that was a that was an interesting uh, touch. I thought it. I thought it was very creative. Yeah, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, I remember seeing it way back when. Yeah. All right. So I guess it's it's Blu-ray time. So these are October releases, which I can only yes. imagine is uh, horror heavy. First of all, let me say that I I bought my first Blu-ray in ten years yesterday. Uh huh. What was it? I don't get I don't get sent Blu-rays, so yes. I, I don't actually watch them. Like I I I haven't watched a Blu-ray in forever. Yeah. But. Uh, but uh, I did see, like, Twilight Time was selling autofocus for $15. And then I, I looked on Amazon, and it was $50. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just I'll take advantage of the $15, because I really want to hear that Schrader-Kinnear commentary on it. And then there's another commentary where the uh, uh, uh does commentary, the writer. Okay. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it's a topic that interests me. But I, I want to hear what they all have to say about the subject. But um, So I did I did buy it. And second Blu-ray news that I happened upon today, and you'll probably get into it, Adam. Uh-huh. A three-disc 4K restoration of Maniac. <laughs> <laughs> the, the 30s movie? It's no, the 30s? no, no, no. 1980, uh, the, the I'm sure. William Lustig. Okay, the lusty. Okay, bound to be. 
Yeah. Let I, me repeat I, that. I, a 4K. <laughs> yeah. A maniac. <laughs> Three discs. <laughs> Three discs. Wow. Amazing. They know those hard people will, will turn out for it. Oh, you bet. They sell Sinatra's Absolutely. entire uh, uh, resume on three discs. But uh, we get we get <laughs> one maniac. <laughs> okay, good old William Lustig. Yeah. I'm not discounting yeah, people that like that movie. I, even though, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's effective. I don't watch it. I do like the music to it. Uh, but uh, I do, I am suspicious of people that really love uh, a movie like that. I, I, I mean, Ch- <laughs> Chainsaw is one thing, because I really love Chainsaw Massacre. I don't watch it every day, and uh, but then again, Chainsaw Massacre is very, very artfully and it is suggestive, suggestively done, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Not so Maniac or Last House on the Left or stuff like that. I, I can appreciate their power, but it's not something I want to live with. Yeah. Yeah, lingering on the gore. Yeah. It's I I've, I've seen Maniac once, I think, and you know, I thought it was pretty good of it, okay of its type, but I haven't seen it since then. That was a long It doesn't time even have ago. that song in it. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. A couple of years later. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, could you imagine uh, if Brian De Palma had directed Flashdance? Because that's who they wanted <laughs> for that movie. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, that's nuts. That, that is really great. nuts. That would be great. What would she have done with that with that welder? It's uh, you know the fire or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <That's horrible>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. I think we better hold on to our Blu-rays though, because uh, last week was was more proof that uh, physical media does matter with the shutting down of Filmstruck. Mm-hmm. So I think it is worth noting. Oh, wow. That was big, big news. And a lot of my close friends here in the area who were cinephiles were just devastated. I mean, I mean, really devastated. I have one guy, he must have met, he must have posted six things about it within the, the day that they announced it. It's like people were heartbroken. So will Criterion go back to uh, Hulu? I don't know. I mean, um, I probably, I bet. Somebody's saying Hulu's not doing so well either, and yeah, I, I'm hearing that. So you, you know, it was, a, it was a business decision. AT&T bought up Warner Brothers and uh, their their you know film properties or whatever, and so they they decided they want to do a streaming service that's going to compete with Netflix and the upcoming Disney streaming and all these others, and so they've got to have theirs and. We're basically going back to the, the days of you know the cable wars again is what yeah. we're doing except they're doing it with the streaming instead and I just uh, and they basically just gave a big fu to cinephiles to because the, they said it was a, a niche service that was in their actual I got yeah. the press release from them uh-huh. and they shut it down and it said uh, this this is a uh, this is a niche service and and we want to roll this into our bigger um, to, into our larger plans or whatever, but basically, what, reading between the lines, it was like you know we we don't give a shit about you guys who are who care about movies. We just want to you know. Well, I mean, it was it was yeah. kind of insulting when I read it. And uh, well, it is a service. Uh, I mean, it, it is, 
but uh, so they need to be someplace where um, those movies need to be with a company that that specializes in niche services. Yes, I don't know why uh, TMS uh, TCM yeah. doesn't uh, do that kind of thing because I mean on their station they play Criterion all the time. You see yep. like the Criterion logo and the Janus films and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Filmstruck was uh, the uh, the offices were actually on the Turner lot. Yeah, I was going to say they're affiliated somehow. There was a, there was a tie there, mm. but I couldn't remember what mm. it was. But um, you know, the thing about Filmstruck was there were a lot of 4K restorations of movies that they didn't had never put out on disc, so they would turn up there. Wow. That you never there's no physical copy. There's literally no physical copy. Then there was no DVD. There was no Blu-ray. And this month they were going to be showing. The Devils, which is mm. notoriously unavailable oh, well. in America, and and also you know released many times with, in different cuts. So yes, and very so hard to big, get the whole was, thing. Yeah, right. There's a lot of stuff that they had there that you couldn't, you know, if you wanted to see it. Uh, there's an Akira Kurosawa movie. I can't remember the title. It's uh, I remember it's from '75. It was one of those that he made oh. in the mid '70s, and it was one that's not available on physical media, but uh, they had. It was readily available there, but wow. not anymore. As as committed as uh, Criterion has been to Kurosawa. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, what a perfect segue because I wanted to bring this up. I gotta I gotta pull this link up. Um, they came out with a list. I mean, he obviously made it years ago before he died, but a list of Akira Kurosawa's hundred favorite movies. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. Apparently, he 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 went through the motions of making his own list. Mm. Uh, and it's it's interesting. He he limited himself to uh, one director. He didn't want to do multiple from the yeah, same director. Yeah, that's smart. So he chose he chose Godfather Part Two for Coppola. Yeah. He he chose <clears throat> Barry Lyndon for Kubrick. Mm. And he chose King of Comedy for Scorsese. Huh. That's Very interesting. interesting. Yes. I love King King of Comedy. I oh, always sure. have. Yeah. Always have. Yeah. It is heavy on Amer- American films. I mean, there's a first year of foreign, but heavy on American. Yeah. John Huston, The Dead. Here's the um, surprising entry. <laughs> the most Night surprising? Uh, maybe. I mean, it's the first place where my eyes kind of went. Most of these are the usual suspects, you know, stuff like, uh, I mean, his, his Hitchcock movie was The Birds. He had. Uh, that's um, a surprise. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, Bonnie and Clyde in the Heat of the Night, Midnight Cowboy Mash, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, they're usual suspects in many ways. But at number 96, he has Running on Empty. <laughs> wow, that's the, that's the one Cindy Lumet that he included? Wow. Yeah. That's strange. <laughs> yeah. I do like that movie, but I wouldn't put it in the top. Well, I'm. Maybe in the top ten, Sidney Lumet's maybe, but yeah. Uh, you're talking about uh, some great movies that in Lumet's catalog. So I mean, yeah. his resume. So I mean, uh, Twelve Angry Men, or or which is on uh, Prime right now, and uh, and Paul also, Broker. Uh, that I always thought that was a little overdone, but I like I like oh, I lo- uh, I love it. Steiger in it, and uh, yeah. but I like uh, Prince of the City. And, yes, and great. network, of course. Yes, well, yeah. and Dog Day. 
Dog, dog Day at their yeah. noon, yes. Hell, I like, uh, I mean, I wouldn't name it in, like, his top five or anything, but I even like Night Falls in Manhattan. Uh, yes. I think he's good. You know, uh, you can't say the same thing about Gloria. But or at least or Find Me Guilty. <laughs> I like that. I like that, Ruby. That's on Prime, too, right now. What's the thing he did with Timothy Hutton? Uh, Daniel? Daniel? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's unusual. Yes, and, it is. And a great Amanda Plummer supporting performance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then that's when they were trying to, yeah, trying to make those movies out of the E.L. Doctorow books at the time. That was another one of his. Oh yeah. Novels. Yeah. 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 So interesting. Well, it sure is. Very. Huh. Wow. Okay, let's do Blu-rays. Okay, yes. well, here we let's go. Get into I'm not talking it. about yeah, this prestige Kurosawa shit. I'm <laughs> talking about the the house that drip blood. Yes. <laughs> well, which is uh, also on Prime <laughs> right now. Well, I will say this: there are, there were quite a few television movies that uh, I'm a fan of that were actually released on Blu-ray in October, and I'm going to start off with a couple with a pair of those. And uh, there's just some good ones that I had hoped they would issue, and uh, one of them is uh, The Night Stalker from 1972 with Darren McGavin, which, uh, of course, led to the eventually the television series Kolchak, The Night Stalker. But I think this is a – it really holds up. Um, you know, it's a vampire loose in Las Vegas, and Darren McGavin is the reporter who can't get anybody to believe him, and uh, he doesn't believe it either until he, uh, you know – comes to a point where he realizes yeah it's it's a real vampire and i'm going to be the guy who has to go and put a stake through its heart because everybody else nobody else is taking this seriously and mm-hmm. it's a great mixture of humor and horror and um you just great great character actors all through the, i mean the movie's just full of them i mean our, some of our who are some faces. of them oh you got claude akins and ralph meeker and alicia cook jr and uh carol lindley does Alicia Cook Jr. die in it? He does not, actually. He oh, that's not. a surprise. <laughs> he, he actually has a pivotal part in the movie because he's the, he's the guy who is a real estate. Uh, he, he he works in real estate, and he knows the house where the vampire lives, and he turns okay. Kolchak onto the – but, uh, yeah, so it's it's really, uh, like I said, extremely, extremely well done television movie, and it was the highest rated television movie of all time. I think up until uh, the day after, the day after. In 1983 yeah. is the only it's the one that unseated it, but uh, it's still still quite an effective little movie. And like I said, um, and then the other one is the sequel to it, The Night Strangler, which mm-hmm. uh, uh, this and both of these are released by Kino. And The Night Strangler was on television in January of '72, exactly one year after the release of uh, or the broadcast of the first movie, mm-hmm. and. It's it's good, not quite as good as the original because the first movie had, you know, it, it was a unique approach to horror that hadn't been done before. I mean, you got that great narration by Darren McGavin for one thing. It just kind of uh, adds something that I can't really articulate very well, but it just it gives you a uh, an extra edge to it, I think, in ominousness or something. But anyway, uh, The Night Strangler was directed directed by Dan Curtis, who produced the first one, and uh, apparently he and McGavin did not get along when they were making the second one, but uh, to the point where when they were shoot, getting the last shot, he started screaming and yellow, yelling at the uh, 
at the cast and crew, and McGavin said, you got your last shot. I'm out of here, and he just mm. walked off. <laughs> so they never actually – he had to work with what he had is, is the story. But, um, yeah, so, so so anyway. Who directed um, the first one? John Llewellyn Moxey, who is a British oh, okay. director, yeah. who is still alive at the age of 93, and he appears in an extra on the Night Stalker disc, believe that or not. <laughs> wow. Pretty incredible. But uh, anyway, and there's also uh, an audio commentary from Tim Lucas on both of these discs, who, who you know, the video watchdog guy who mm-hmm. was the, did that, and he's knowledgeable about it, too. Anyway, great transfers. These are 4K transfers on both of these. Um, but um, And the Night Strangler also has great character actors, too, in it. I mean, it's chock full of Wally Cox is in it, and uh, you've got John Carradine, and of course Simon Oakland is in both of these. He's Colchak's boss, and mm. you've got Margaret Hamilton. You've got Al Lewis. <laughs> wow, <laughs> those are a few, just a few. Richard Anderson, uh, whom we've had on the show, mm. or the late Richard Anderson. He's he's actually the the uh, the the monster in the second movie. So, um, oh okay. Anyway, so yeah, good good stuff. I would highly recommend Night Stalker, Night Strangler, great early seventies television. Horror. So those are actually good. <laughs> uh, and then we'll move along. The Naked Prey is a Criterion release. That's uh, directed by Cornell Wilde. Uh, Cornell Wilde, yes. Yeah. And uh, a pretty good movie, too. I, I yeah, it say. is. It is. Yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah it's, a, it's about this guy who goes on a, a hunting safari and he winds up being uh, the, the prey. Yeah. Uh, of of a bunch of South African hunters and yeah. um, anyway it's filmed in widescreen looks terrific and it's very well done for a guy who's primarily an actor who had segued into directing but um, he's, he's he directed a, a couple of really good movies yeah mm-hmm. he did a did a war movie called Beach Red that was very good I think yeah I, I haven't seen that I'm I'm aware of it though but but um, so anyway and then there's Trick or Treat. Which is a horror anthology from 2007, which uh, it's so-so. I had never seen it. Um, good it music. Cast. That was that it's, was Pipes. The music. Yeah. Okay. Did the score for it? Yeah. Yeah, it does have a good score. It really does. Yeah, and a pretty good cast. It has Dylan Baker, Brian Cox, and Anna Paquin. Um, some of the, st- but uh, the the thing here is all the stories are intertwined. They're not separate. So it's like uh, all of it's taking place in one place on Halloween night, and all these characters are kind of weaving in and out of each other's lives, and there's all these different story threads that somehow come together, and some of them work better than others. Dylan Baker is a principal, school principal, who's um, who's actually a serial killer at night, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's playing one of his typical, atypical the, uh, roles that we expect from Dylan Baker. Yes, but, it's uh, the magnolia of shitty horror films. <laughs> it kind of it's it's very similar to Magnolia, it really is in in that you know the, as far as it's as, as far as having all. Would be crazy if Paul Thomas Anderson was inspired by Trick or Treat? <laughs> well, it's probably the other way around because this came out eight years after uh, Magnolia. Oh, it did. So, yeah, yeah. I thought Trick or Treat was like a, a '90s movie, like an early '90s. Movie. It's probably been done. It's probably been used a few times. I think there is an early. Late '80s, early '90s, trick or treat. Well, uh, you're thinking about the one with directed by Charles Martin Smith, which has yeah. uh, Ozzy Osbourne in it, which is a totally different movie. It is not an anthology movie. It's uh, 
has something to do with them playing a record backwards and it unleashes a spirit or oh. something. And yeah, it was uh, one of those Dino De Laurentiis productions that was filmed here in Wilmington, not far from where I live. So, yeah, it's different. So, but okay. this one's this was directed by Michael Doherty, who's directing the new Godzilla that comes out next year. So uh, this is one mm. of his first movies. But anyway, it's so-so. But if you're a fan of Trick or Treat, it's out from Scream Factory and uh, Warner Brothers, who's sub-licensing their product out to uh, Scream Factory these days. Mm-hmm. So there you go with that title. And then we've got uh, Three Identical Strangers as a newer film, but I want to give a shout-out to that. That's a, one of the best films I've seen this year, that documentary. I don't know if you guys ever got around to seeing it or not, but it's just one of those movies that just keeps on shocking you with its revelations. It's, the truth is stranger than fiction, for sure. Mm-hmm. It proves that, so it's really well done. And um just wanted to... I, I, I liked it for the... Uh... Yeah, I liked it for this for the story. Yes, but, that's right. Um, I I did not think the. It's a weird thing to say, but <laughs> I, I don't think that the documentary added anything to the actual story. Like it, like the in, in the moviness of it, the filmmaking mm-hmm. of it. Uh, I didn't think it was that exceptional. I just thought that the story carried it along, and mm-hmm. and I mean that's true for that for that. I think you could get a lot of that off of just. Wikipedia, and you could be surprised by the story reading the Wikipedia entry. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I I enjoyed it a lot, but yeah, yeah, there's the the, the there's not a lot as far as the technique of the, the movie that that adds to it. You're exactly right. So yeah, so Rafifi, Jules Dawson's mm. Rafifi. I love Rafifi. That's a great movie. Yeah. So that's a Criterion release. And that has uh, that's one of their October titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, another television movie. I heard the owl call my name. From uh, wow, starring Tom Courtenay and um, yeah, it says Paul Stanley, but I Tom heard it's a different Paul Stanley. Man, yes. I, Tom Courtenay. Uh, maybe I'm maybe that's not the person I'm thinking of. Is he the Doctor Chivago? No, who's the uh, guy from Ruben? Ruben. No, he's in the. Uh, I'm not. No, the, uh, that's Tom the, Conti. He's in the dresser okay. with the, Albert Finney. Uh, yes, the dresser. All right. Loneliness is a long distance runner. Yes, it's Tom Conti. One of those angry Tom young British. I knew this weird girl that all she could talk about was the movie Ruben Rupert. And I'm not talking like <laughs> in, in '82 <laughs> or whenever that movie came out. I'm talking about like the year 2000. She was like, "Oh God, I love Tom Conti. You ever see Ruben Rupert?" I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I yes, I watch it while eating a Reuben sandwich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was Reuben, Reuben, Reuben. Weird. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, those are uh, those all came out on October the 2nd. I heard the owl call my name. Yeah. Is that a British movie? Is it British? It's, it's, it's made for television. It uh, was made in 1973, and it, like I said, it has Tom Courtenay, Dean Jagger, Paul Stanley. <laughs> Oscar not winner. The, not the kiss, kiss Paul Stanley, a different <laughs> Paul Stanley. Yes. Directed by Daryl Duke, but it's about a in a there's a it's a dying Indian village at the turn of the 20th century, and there's a doubting young priest who's facing um, uh, you know he's having doubts in his faith, and he's crisis of faith kind of thing, you know. 
But Daryl Duke did The Silent Partner. Yeah, that's a which is one of the great movie. movies. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a good that's a good uh, quasi horror movie. You know? It is, it is. It's very very well done, and not yes. enough people talk about it. And and a screenplay by Curtis Hanson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that's a really great movie. Uh, Elliot Gould and uh, and uh, Christopher Plummer as a very memorable villain. Oh yeah. Oh man, fantastic! Yeah. Susanna York and uh, filmed in Canada, and it also has a, a small role for John Candy. It does. I forgot about that. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, yeah, I gotta that's... say, I've I, I've been reading a lot lately. Like I'm trying to read a couple, read a couple <laughs> of books a week. So I got this book on uh, Bob Crane, written by his son. So it's called it's called Crane. Sex, something out. Uh, sex, celebrity, and my father's unsolved murder. Mm. And so, mm. when you buy a book that has that title from the son of Bob Crane, you expect it to be about Bob Crane, and it's only really half about Bob Crane, and the other half is an autobiography of the of the son, <laughs> which is interesting enough because he was John Candy's personal publicist. Oh. From from armed and dangerous to the end of his life. So he was on set for planes, trains, and automobiles, and he tells a lot of stories about John Candy, who by all accounts was a sweetheart of a person. And I, I enjoyed it well enough, but I'm like, my God, I, I didn't buy a Bob Crane book thinking that I'd be reading a, 150 <laughs> pages Uncandy. about John Candy. <laughs> it should be called – and I said, this book should be called Candy Crane. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oh, okay, good. That's funny. Well, I'll move on to October 5th, uh, the Rolling Stones documentary, Sympathy for the Devil, directed by Jean-Luc Godard. For a long time, I think that was banned, but uh, it's now readily available. It's just what about the re- – it's, it's really just about – it's uh, it's uh, late 60s, early 70s, and it, uh, it's really just about the recording of Sympathy for the Devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, just, uh, it's just them in the studio recording Sympathy for the Devil. How many yeah. damn documentaries do you have to make about the Rolling Stones? They're, I mean, they they, like they the have set the record. They have. They are. They are Good absolutely. Lord. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's probably there's probably uh, at least twenty of them. Quite a few. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, great directors. Behind yeah. Them. yeah. 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 Well, talk about horror movies that are being reissued. This one's on 4K, Ultra HD, The Evil Dead, the original 1981. It's a 4K debut. Yeah. Have you seen what it looks like? I mean, what does the 4K $10,000 movie look like? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Although, well, the last time I bought it, I bought the U.K. The uh, German pressing that came out, they put out a box set that has all three with tons of extras and documentaries you can't get in America. So I just bought that one. Mm-hmm. And it looked it looked good. I was surprised. Uh, it, it I, just, really... I, 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 am, I am very curious, like, how um, how the, those, those kinds of movies benefit from a, from a 4K. Uh, yeah. Like an, you know, like an El Mariachi or, yeah. you know... Uh, or Night of the Living Dead, which I, I'm sure looks beautiful. But, uh, oh, it does. You know. Or American Graffiti. <laughs> Did it look beautiful when it came out? I, I mean, I don't even know. 
It's not Night of the Living Dead looked beautiful when it came out. Well, the Night of the Living Dead one uh, is is fantastic. It is it is revelatory. It, it, so I will say that you know the it is yeah the the uh, it is really really something else. You know so uh, so it doesn't it doesn't take away from its. Uh, kind of immediacy and its documentary kind of power. No, but uh, they were smart enough to uh, to include uh, a really beat up print of it on the on uh, on the uh, Criterion. So, so if you want to see it all beat up and 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 smudged up and stuff, you can. But uh, I mean, I'm not I'm 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 not necessarily like. It sounds like I'm bad talking it, but I'm not. I'm honestly curious if it it affects how the film plays. It's a worthwhile question, I think. And, uh, yeah. I thought it was – it played fine for me. I just enjoyed uh, some of the extra detail that I had never noticed before. I thought enhanced the experience a little bit, you know, just the – I don't know. I I thought it, it was just fine. Um, There's a lot of beautiful camera work and stuff, and and uh, and uh, of course effects work, uh, makeup and so forth. Yeah. In the original Evil Dead, and so I could see. Yeah, I could I see, yeah, see yeah, uh, yeah. Honestly, there there is an Evil Dead, and I could see like um, there there is merit to watching something like Chainsaw Massacre at 2 a.m. Some bad print that a cable station has. Oh yeah. And that, yeah. That, oh yeah. That being, that being your way of discovering that movie, it, uh, it, it can make it scarier in some ways. Yeah. Yes. But then, then I remember watching Psycho finally in a nice clean uh, print of it at the theater, and I'm like, my God, this photography is freaking gorgeous. Like there's such yeah. depth in the black and white. Yeah, yeah there's it's just so like beautifully it. done. Yeah. Great That's art true. direction. So mm-hmm. well. Absolutely. Well, here's one that nobody's going to be talking about in those terms. <laughs> House on Haunted Hill from 1999. With oh, Jeffrey Rush. blah. <laughs> Just yeah. go see the Vincent Price one. Yeah, this is a Screen Factory release, and apparently this movie has... There are big fans, as they usually are with some of these titles, and this is one that um, some people who don't know any better obviously have a fondness for it so mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean there's an ex- there's an example screen factory like a lot of these companies that you talk about in your blu ray report they're a niche company and they know how to do it obviously yep sure do yep and they also issued well shout did which is their sister of course shout screams is really the same thing the man in the iron mask who remembers this this was the big movie that everybody was Excited to see the what DiCaprio the one. Yeah. Oh is, yeah. When after Titanic, everybody couldn't wait to see what he was going to do next, and it's on Prime. Yeah. Days, so, so this was it. I thought it was. So, <laughs> I remember it's so funny that Woody Woody Allen always talked about you know I don't make popular films. He said you know I made the first film DiCaprio came out with after Titanic and it bombed. <laughs> <laughs> it was like people did not come see my movie. As but uh, the Woody Allen audience has always been a relatively small one. And that <laughs> is a pretty bad Woody Allen movie. I mean, it's yeah, not. Yeah, it's not a good Allen one. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so 
the speaking of TV movies, this is a te- this was a television movie overseas, um, multi-part TV movie, but uh, never been issued in America that I'm aware of. Rainer Werner Fastbinders, Eight Hours Don't Make a Day, has been issued by Criterion, and um, like I said, it was a it was a TV miniseries, I think, but it's. Uh, yeah. Interlocking stories of blue-collar workers in 70s Germany as they confront issues of the day. And I guess if you're a Rainer Werner Fassbinder fan, this is essential. If you were a a Fassbinder fan, uh, man, you'd have an endless number of movies to see because uh, and TV series because he was as prolific as they come. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to know that he died at age 37, and he has like almost, I think, mm. 50 credits or something. To, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. He do three, three or four movies a year. Uh, incredible. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. So another made-for-television movie. We were talking about those, and here's yet another one: Bad Ronald from 1974, starring Scott Jacoby and Pippa Scott, Dabney Coleman, and Kim Hunter and John Fiedler. <laughs> Wow, John Fiedler. <laughs> yeah, this is a fun movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, basically, uh, a family moves into a house not knowing that um, the, the 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 teenage boy who lived in the house previously is still living there in a hidden compartment in the house. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, it's it's really creepy, really effective. I think the only problem with it is I wish it was a little bit longer. It's only an hour. And 14 minutes, but that was because they tried to squeeze it in a 90-minute time slot. But oh. for for what it is, it really gets 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 under your skin. Gets the job done. When I was working at <laughs> when I was working at TNT, uh, uh, you know, I would get uh, viewer calls coming in, and there was this one guy that would always call up requesting us to play Bad Ronald. Always. That's too so funny. <laughs> well, now, now this brings up a good issue too. You're talking about does the uh, ma- remastering of these titles like Texas Chainsaw and, and Hills Have Eyes and Night of the Living Dead and stuff like that does that does that detract or enhance your appreciation? What about television movies because they were yeah. shown on you know back in the '70s when we were growing up. You could you had rabbit ears and no cable. And yeah, you had snow True. and. And now this bad Ronald, I put on the Blu-ray, and it, I mean it's impeccable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, looks, it looks like it was filmed yesterday, as far as the the, the technical quality of the the transfer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see all these things that you never really were uh, supposed to see. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I thought it, uh, and, and of course you know with television, it, you have those commercials which kind of break up the film, and it's I like it better when you can see it all in one sitting and. It's not broken up, and I'd like to see it with with the uh, but with the old seventies commercials in there. Yeah, you know, the actual commercials. <laughs> For sure. I love I love the seeing oh, those. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, so Bad Ronald has been issued by Warner Archive, and here's a couple of Universal titles that may be of interest if we have any Don Knotts fans out there. How about? Shakiest Gun in the West, The Reluctant <laughs> Astronaut, and How to Frame a Fig. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I went on a uh, Don a, a Don Knotts uh, 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 jag for a little bit with uh, uh, the first his first three movies, uh, mm-hmm. The Reluctant Astronaut, uh, uh, Ghost of Mr. Chicken, and uh, How to Frame a Fig. And uh, 
Yeah, we eh, sorry, didn't work. <laughs> they they they're not really that funny, unfortunately. They were funny as a kid when I watched them as a kid, but uh, you know now I'm too old for them, I guess. But uh, uh, the best of them is Ghost of Mr. Chicken, probably. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep, I would agree with that. But yeah, I never thought any. I never thought they were all that funny either. I, I wondered if it was just me, but I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> so do we remember when they had the? The the resurgence in 3D in the 80s. Here's one of those titles: Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin. Oh my God! I don't, I don't remember that. that one. I do. I'm a space I, hunter. Yes. Yeah, Star Chaser. I remember Star Chaser. I wanted to see because uh, I'd almost talked my parents into taking me to see it, and it would have been the first 3D movie that I had ever seen. But they backed out at the last minute, so I didn't get to. That's the only reason I remember it. But oh. <laughs> what was the first 3D movie you saw? Oh, I didn't see one probably until, uh, gosh, I'm thinking now. It was probably until they started debuting on home video before I saw, because I didn't see any of those in the 80s, n- none of them. I saw half the Blacks back in the uh, back in the uh, 70s. So. Yeah, they put it back out in 82, I remember, when they had that resurgence in the early 80s, too. It was the kind of thing, there, it was the kind of thing that was in constant release. It would play at some mm-hmm. theater somewhere. And, uh, uh, yeah, so I saw it in the 70s. Yeah. My first was, uh, my first was Creature of the Black Lagoon on television. And then mm. my first movie in the theater was Jaws 3. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> Where the best effect is when the Jaws come up to the, to the screen, yeah. you know. Even in 3D, the movie was just one-dimensional. <laughs> yes. That's good. Well, p- another pair. Oh of no, no, uh, no, no offense to Joe Owls, who I, no, I know we like. We love Joe. I'm sorry. Joe did the best he could. Yeah. <laughs> he had subpar 3D cameras. He told us that. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had subpar everything. I mean. Yeah, like... <laughs> he did. Well, I don't think yeah, he was not him by personally. But... All right. Yes. I think the odds were against him when he was working with Alan Landsberg, first of all. I think mm-hmm. that was the first strike. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, when you think of Jaws, you don't think of Alan Landsberg. I'm sorry, but <laughs> you, you just don't. You have in search of when you think of You think of that's incredible, but you don't think of. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine, though? I mean, they probably thought, you know. We've got somebody that just won the Oscar, for God's sake, starring in our movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Jr. Man, this is going to be a, a slam dunk. Uh, or maybe that's what Lou Gossett Jr. was saying. Oh, now I finally get to capitalize on my Oscar, yeah. and I'll do a big Jaws movie. And it, it didn't work out. Mm. Hey, remember that happened the next time around, too, when they did Jaws the Revenge, because Michael Caine... Yeah, Michael Caine had just won. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's so that weird. happened twice. And it, didn't, it, it didn't help it either time. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, here's a pair of Universal titles, uh, two two more of their catalog titles they've issued. One True Thing with oh, Meryl Streep. <laughs> yep. Yes, and the story of us with Michelle Pfeiffer and Bruce Willis. Oh man, that's some I, serious uh, sap. <laughs> it is. It is. It is sappy. Uh, I do remember seeing that movie, and you know, a, a mediocre movie at best. But I did like 
the montage at the very end of it. Mm-hmm. Of of their history as a couple, with the Eric Clapton yeah. music. Mm. Uh, because at that time, I owned a video company and I used to make photo montages <laughs> for, for <laughs> customers. So I was like, oh, well, this is like the ideal example of that. I'll, I'll have mm. to try to use this stuff. Hmm. <laughs> Very good. Well, we'll um, so moving along here, we're already up to October 15th. We have Cannibal Holocaust. Has been oh, yeah. by Brian Big zero for me. Yeah. Feel all the guts in their glory. Yeah, remade, of course, is The Green Inferno. Uh, uh, Quasi-remade, I guess you would say. But, um, but Ripped anyway, off. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to October 16th for another television film, uh, Trilogy of Terror, starring Karen Black. And this one's released uh-huh. by Kino. This has been a very influential television movie. You very. Know, uh, just uh, Tom Holland admits that he stole shots from the movie, from the scene where the doll chases. It's a horror anthology, and of course the third story is a, a doll that comes to life and terrorizes Karen Black in her apartment, and that's the one everybody remembers. But um, yeah. He he admits, Tom Holland does, that he stole shots from Trilogy of Terror when he was doing Child's Play. Child's Play, yes, yes, for sure. And, and uh, what are the other two stories? Well, the first one is actually not too bad. It's uh, this this college student becomes infatuated with his teacher, and he has this incredible desire to see her naked, and he just can't shake it basically. And then he, uh, it kind of winds up at, at the end of it that she put the idea in his head because she likes to toy with men. Oh, okay. And so it it turns you know you oh, you think he's just some creep. Yeah. <laughs> it's a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> who's it, who's in that episode? Scott um, Baio. <laughs> actually, I think Gregory Harrison turns up in it. Believe it or not, <laughs> you're close. He's he's the kid. No, he's not the kid. The kid that uh, it was Karen Black's husband at the time. I can't think of the actor's name, but uh, he's not somebody that, that did a whole lot of other stuff. But Gregory uh-huh. Harrison is is also in that segment, and then. Then you, the second segment is one of those uh, split personality, you know, two sisters who are really the same, and and you and uh, George Gaines appears in that one, and John Carlin, two great character actors that we wow. Have. So, yeah, but it uh, that that last segment still holds up, and this is a, a nice restoration, some good extras. There's a Karen Black interview here, about 20 minutes about the movie and her overall career, and there's a from 2006, and there's a new audio commentary, nice little book, and so if you're a Trilogy of Terror fan, I would recommend that, which I am. I saw this movie, I was thinking about it, I saw it when it originally aired on television, I was four and a half years old, <laughs> and maybe that says a lot about me, uh, because I can't imagine that my, I, my mom just must not have been paying close attention to what I was watching. <laughs> I, I checked the dates, and I know I saw it the first time it aired, and it aired in March of 75, and I would have been four and a half. Because I remember I could not shut up about it to anybody that would wow. listen to me for the next six months. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was that overwhelmed. You know, it was like just uh, I was on an overload <laughs> after seeing yeah. that movie. But, we uh, both had parents that took us to horror movies and yeah. uh, and let us watch horror movies when we were kids. I know. And I remember thinking that, and I think, God, I can't believe I was four and a half years old when I saw Trilogy of Terror, but I had to have been, so... Anyway. I was probably seven when I saw the Manson Massacres, which is a pretty 
scary movie. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, so yeah. and deranged. I think I saw too. Yeah. The uh, yeah, the Larry Clark movie. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. Funny how things were different back then. Yeah. <laughs> they were. Well, The Big Lebowski has been issued for the umpteenth time, but this one's worth talking about because it's been issued in 4K Ultra HD. All right. And they say it really, really looks good. This is. I'm this, sure it does. That it's really something to behold. Mm-hmm. But, I was uh, thinking about Lebowski the other day, and I, because I was watching that new interview with uh, Bridges and Goodman and Buscemi for the mm-hmm. 25th anniversary. Or, is it 25th or 20th? 20th anniversary of it and uh god there's if you get that movie and i know some people that don't they think it's so bad but uh, if you get that movie there's nothing about that movie that isn't funny like yes most, i agree <laughs> like the most like obscure <laughs> uh-huh. and it's amazing yeah. how you can apply it to everyday conversation you it the is line that movie it's the most one of the most quotable movies ever, and uh, I remember going to see the screening of it when I was working at TNT, and um, I was laughing all the way through it from the very beginning with the tumbleweed going. Uh, I, I started laughing the moment the tumbleweed came on screen, and and I kept laughing throughout the entire movie. I was easily the most brilliant. you know, absolutely, and I love that. The movie opens with a narrator that loses his train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> that is so yeah. funny. That oh, is. so funny. And, uh, Bridges was talking about uh, he cracked once on the set, and it's when he was working with Sam Elliott doing one of the mm. scenes at the bar. Mm. And Sam Elliott with the great voice and everything, and he's speaking in like bumper stickers in that movie. And uh, just in the middle of the take, Sam Elliott's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) He's so great at it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Some of my favorite narration ever. Oh, it's it's superb. But I'm one of those guys, I have to admit, that I really, I liked it when I saw it, but I didn't love it the first time I saw it. I'm one of those guys who had to warm up to it. And, uh, you know, I... That is is the typical story. I mean, that is why it, it took time to to grow an audience. Most of, and I think a lot of that was plagued by the expectations of their follow-up to Fargo. Yes, yes. I it, agree. It hurt me. It hurt me, I admit. It really did. Yes. Uh, uh, it hurt my enjoyment of it. And, you know, it's funny. I watched it the first time, and I was like, eh, it's fine. And then I saw it a second time, and same thing. I was like, eh, it's fine. And the third time, I watched it with a friend of mine, and I mean, I laughed my ass off, and I thought, oh my God, that's one of the greatest movies ever. What the hell was wrong with me? <laughs> because, it's, because it's so unique, because it's all about the characters and their interaction with yeah. each other. It's not, it's not about punchline. So even, or even plot. the most yeah. innocu- innocuous line comes across as funny because of who, who's delivering it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's just a great movie. Yeah. Great and now movie. it's one of the greatest comedies ever, in my opinion. Yes. It's right there you know, in the top ten, I would say, of mine, anyway. So it's I, funny how things change. I was really surprised when I first saw it, how, how few people were laughing, uh, yeah. even amongst the TNT crowd. I thought, oh, these are pretty educated people. How come they didn't get it? Uh, yeah. And they, they really did not get it. Uh, yeah. But 
But uh, yeah, I I never disliked it even from the first time. I just you know didn't love it, and then the third time it's just like it locked in. It's like, oh my god, this is so good. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it's funny. He so, fixes um, the cable. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the 1956 film, has been issued by Olive. Uh, reissued, I guess, because they did a bare bones a couple of years ago, but now they've gone all out with this terrific Olive Signature Series edition, which is just loaded with documentaries and audio mm. commentaries, two <laughs> or three audio commentaries, and just uh, there's a roundtable discussion with Larry Cohen and Joe Dante where they talk about it. There's all kinds of uh, archival interviews with Kevin McCarthy and other members of the cast, wow. and just uh, rare documents detailing the production, just anything, and a new transfer, too, so um, you know, just if you're a fan of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and what I'm told is uh, this pressing has already, um, whatever they have at Amazon is all that's left because the actual distributor has no more. They've already, they only pressed like, I think, 3,000 of them. So uh, this is going to be valuable pretty soon. So anybody who wants the definitive edition of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it's I'd, I'd recommend getting this terrific uh, set from Olive Films, which came out on October 16th. So I want to mention that, and also I want to mention a pair of uh, DreamWorks animated movies from the late '90s that kind of been forgotten, I would say. And uh, one of them sadly neglected because I kind of liked it. One of, and this is uh, I'm talking about Ants, featuring the voice of Woody Allen and (laughs) Sylvester Stallone. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And that's a really, really. I think that's a really good animated movie, and it was it was interesting to see Woody do the voice in one of those things. It was nice, a nice change of pace. And uh, the Prince of Egypt is the other one. Um, both of those. Not, that's I'm got not so some good songs in it. But, yeah, uh, it's okay, but I'm not crazy about right. that. But Ants, I really warmed up to being mm-hmm. a Woody fan, of course. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that they put those out on blue because uh, they had not been issued since the late '90s. And, those transfers really <laughs> needed some upgrades. Mm. So good for them. Uh, Criterion has issued Shampoo, the Hallow Ashby yeah. classic. And um, new transfer, new 4K restoration looks beautiful, must say. Unfortunately, not a lot of extras. Mm. There's just conversation yeah, between Yeah, it's pretty, pretty bare bones. It is really it a good is, conversation? Yeah. It's it's good, yeah. Mark Harris and Frank Rich uh, do a, uh, their conversations actually better than the one. There's a 1998 appearance on the South Bank show featuring Warren Beatty, but you know it's Warren doing what he normally does, mm-hmm. which is not a whole lot. <laughs> not <dry>. talking. <laughs> yeah. He talks, but it's just I don't know. I didn't get a lot from it. Yeah. But um, but anyway, what an intelligent the... what an intelligent guy, and yeah. it's a shame that um, it's a shame that he can't articulate uh, in interviews like I guarantee if you're just a if you're just a pal or something or you're seeing running into him informally yeah you can probably be a lot more impressive on how he articulates yeah. movies mm-hmm. and stuff than sure in an interview but yeah so but I'm so glad they put that up that was the only Ashby film from the 70s that had not made its way to a high definition format mm. and I from kept the 70s. Hoping and okay all right yeah from the 70s yeah the the the, the good Ashby films Yes, right. Yes, uh, the classics, uh, the ones we ta- always talk. We about. revere about him. Yeah, yes. the ones yeah. that. Yeah, it was the one that was missing, and so they rectified that. And I'm, I'm glad. So now you can get the entire Ashby catalog from the 70s on in high def format. They're all even out. the landlord. 
Uh, well, that is coming. That's forthcoming. That's not available yet, but it's coming in in January, I think. So, okay. Yes. Kino's issuing that one, so yeah, they'll all be available once that one gets here. So yeah, mm-hmm. I stand corrected. But it is on the way. Okay. So Dracula AD nineteen seventy two has been issued by Warner Archive. There's no extras here, but uh, if you're a Hammer completist, uh, then you know Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing. What more can you say? This is the one that actually has Dracula transplanted to nineteen seventy two. Yeah. <laughs> Just Kind of worth seeing for that novelty, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. So. How about uh, the Batam Dracula? Is that out? Uh, yes, it is. I, I was. I'm glad you brought that up because there is a. Uh, I'm, um, I'm not going to say where, but there's a torrent floating around. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the story about the Batam Dracula, and you guys may know about it. Uh, the people who like that movie are really, really angry about the Blu-ray and DVD release of it because the colors were desaturated mm. by whoever oh. ma- whoever was in charge of mastering. They they just muted the colors. Uh, I've not looked at it. I've seen it when it plays on cable, but the, they say the Blu-ray is just terrible. Well, somebody I don't know who got a hold of a 35 millimeter print. They scanned it and uploaded it. It's floating around out there. It's about a 12 gigabyte file where the colors have been totally restored mm. to the the original glory of the theatrical prints. Mm. So and uh, so yeah, it's it's there's something out there and and I wish Universal would do something about that so so they wouldn't have to float torrents around and you could actually get because it's I'm just hearing awful things about it. But it is available. I want to tell people it is available. But but I'm and I would say buy it at your own risk. Mm. However, now that you're mentioning that, the John Williams score is being issued next month in a double yeah. disc. That's yeah. a beautiful score. score. Yeah. 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 First time ever for the complete score. So He's, he did a great score for that. He did a great score for the Fury. So yeah, there were yeah. some like non Spielberg Lucas movies that he did mm-hmm. work for. Yeah, the terrific. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up about the Batam Dracula because that's that's something to talk about. But anyway, so City Slickers. Langella was a babe back then. (laughs) Oh oh, yeah. Women, women were crazy about him in that movie. Yeah, my mom was was obsessed with him. Yeah, what was the tagline for that poster? Something about uh, he is filled. The hearts of men with fear and the hearts of women with desire, I think, was the tagline mm. on the poster. Mm. <laughs> I mean, nobody looked at Gary Oldman with that big 60s bun on his head. And <laughs> <laughs> thought, oh, God, I'd like to get with that. True. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Shout Factory has issued City Slickers in a uh, special, one of their uh, Shout Select editions, one of the special editions. So anybody who's a fan of City Slickers and wants to get a new version with some new extras, well, there you go. Uh, and uh, speaking, <laughs> such, speaking of such 90s, a 90s movie, uh, it is. is. Yeah, it's very, I can't even think about watching that movie again. <laughs> uh. So, uh, but for anybody who's uh, and speaking of 1979 vampire movies, how about Nightwing? What <laughs> <laughs> about the vampire bats? <laughs> and uh, I think New Mexico, there's like a, a rash of vampire bat attacks in New yeah. Mexico or something. Yeah. This is directed by Arthur Hiller. Oh and, no, the horror uh, master. 
Yeah, it was. It, <laughs> Catherine Harold is in it, and I can't remember who else is in it. But I just remember this movie. They promoted the hell out of it uh, in yeah. the summer of seven. It was a summer release. Summer, summer movie. Yeah. Yeah, I was like nine years old, summer of seventy nine, and every time I turned the television on back then, I remember Nightwing. It was so great too. The trailers did, and then I saw it on cable years later, and it's like, God, it's bad. How could it be that bad? It was that movie and Prophecy. Was that was that yes. another one? That was another one. Frankenheimer, John Frankenheimer yeah. directed. With that was a huge one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those were. The so things. which one's scarier, uh, Nightwing or author author? <laughs> Ah, that's a good question. Author, author wins for milk and cookies. Yeah, there you yeah, go. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. But anyway, Nightwing is on is paired with a, is a double feature with Shadow and Hawk from Mill Creek, and then we have John Landis, his uh, first film, Schlock, from 1973. Ooh. Actually filmed in 71, released in 73, and this is the movie that put him on the map. And Arrow Video has. Released this with some a brand new transfer and some new extras. Joan Crawford? Uh, uh, no, you're thinking of Trog, I think. Oh, I'm thinking of Trog. Yeah, it's easy yeah. to easy to get those two mixed up. Yeah, that's the that's the one where they're all standing around drinking Pepsi's in the cave where Trog lives because um, Joan Crawford was on the board of Pepsi at the time. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Schlock is a comedy, isn't it? Is it sort of it like is. a yeah, a yeah. Sort of, he falls in love. Yeah, there's course. a blind girl that he has a romance with. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. yeah. It has a typical John Landis jokes. You know, that's where "See You Next Wednesday" comes from. It comes from that movie. You know, we, that's the inside that's, joke and all. That's where movies. he first used it. Yes, but, but really, it comes from 2001. Yeah, that's true. See you next Wednesday isn't, is uh, what. Isn't there a makeout scene with a with a gorilla or something in Schlock? I think so. I haven't. Uh, I, I've never actually seen it. Just clips of it, but I wanted to. I, I hoped. I was hoping so hard, so much they would send me a review copy of that one, but I didn't get one. Um, sadly, I didn't. So I guess I'll just have to wait. But um, anyway, so the house on Sorority Road from from Sorority Row from 1983 is another just one of those. Just watch that. Huh? Yeah. Who's the final girl in that one? Mm, gosh, I never saw that one. It used to turn up on HBO all the time, but I never did see it. Uh, Kate McNeil, Eileen Davidson, Janice Ward. Don't know any of those actresses. Mm. But It's not awful, but you know the um, uh, some of those uh, movies in the early 80s, the throwaway horror movies, <clears throat> um, actually have really good scores. Yeah, and, uh, that one does. That one does too. It's like a really pretty score. Uh, why does this movie? Uh, but a lot of those do. Uh, that were made by that one guy. I can't think of his name. He actually came on the show years ago. Oh, <laughs> terrible! Like from the from the late seventies, early eighties, and he was famous for for producing all of these movies, these horror movies, disposable movies. Uh, hmm. He made a name for himself. I can't remember what his name was. Shit. I was a big fan of. Uh, I love the score for Slumber Party Massacre. I remember that one being real effective. And uh, yeah. I have that soundtrack. That's one of my favorites from that period of those types of movies. That's on Prime too. Yeah, that's one of those movies that used to turn up. They would never run it except in the middle of the night. And in those days before we had VCRs, mm-hmm. uh, I used to set. My parents wouldn't let me watch R-rated movies, but I would set my alarm clock and get up in the middle of the night when everybody was asleep, and I would. Oh, so your parents were a little attentive. Yeah, when it came to R-rated movies, they would they were 
against that. But I would set up, set my alarm clock and sneak into the sneak in there and watch them anyway, and then go. Uh, the they'd never know the difference. So, <laughs> I saw a lot of things. Except when you wake up this next morning and you and you were talking about it. Yeah, VCRs made that a lot easier years later. But anyway. yes. Uh, well, here's some movies I just uh, that that I I can't resist not bringing these up because they're so bad. <laughs> How about Kazam? <laughs> I can't say it without laughing. You know, there's this whole controversy about that movie where 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 there's all these people who think that uh, that that Shaq was in some kind of uh, some kind of genie movie or something. And That's right. Yeah. They they uh, was. they mistake they mistake it. They. They think he did something else. What was it? What is yeah, it? Yeah, they do. That's right. It's, he's confused with, with another movie, but uh, it's Kazam, and it's the one you don't want to see. Kino yeah. Out. Yeah. But Kino has issued that. It's one of those touchstone titles or whatever. Mm-hmm. And here's another one for you. How about this one? Get ready. It's Pat the Movie. <laughs> oh, no. Pat the Movie. Oh, now I'm remembering. They they. they they thought it was uh, they thought it was somebody else playing Kazam. Uh, maybe it was Sinbad or somebody. That's right. That's, that's right. it. That's yes, it. That's right. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, they get it mixed up with that movie. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it's Pat. Mm. Now here's a trivia question: Who was the uncredited screenwriter on that, or co-screenwriter? I should say. Oh uh, gosh, I knew this. I knew. You this. know it, I'm sure. No, I at one point I knew this. Conan O'Brien? Oh no, this guy is, is still a major player, and he was at the time it's, too. It's some, it's somebody uh, with the prestige of like a John Sales type, but it's not John <laughs> Sales, but it's it's a prestige person, I think. Mm. It's Quentin Tarantino, actually. Did <laughs> 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 <think> you not? <laughs> wow. Yeah, because he was uh, having a romantic relationship with. Oh him. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, he he and she was having trouble with it, so he 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 offered to help, and then he came up with with uh, quite a few contributions to its Pat the movie, but her uh, wisely uncredited. Of course, she's in she's in Pulp Fiction, isn't she? Right? Yes, she is. That's correct. Uh, it was around the same time, same mm-hmm. year they both came out. So mm-hmm. you, yeah, so there was definitely uh, they were working oh. on each other's projects, but yeah, he. He's an uncredited writer on that, and uh, you know everybody talks about how bad it is. There are a couple things in it that actually made me laugh. I have to admit, it's it's a one joke movie, and yeah, it wears its its welcome out pretty quickly. But there there's at least one or two jokes in that movie that did make me laugh out loud. I have it's, to admit, <laughs> it's not a masterpiece like uh, Stuart Saves His Family, but it's all right. Yeah, it's 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 not the the god awful piece of junk that everybody says it is. Yeah. So, anyway, and Mallrats has been issued in a director's cut, the Kevin Smith movie. Mm-hmm. So it's about, I don't know, 20 minutes longer, I think. So quite a, quite oh, a go ahead and make it three hours longer. Who nah. cares? Go ahead. You know he has it. You know, yeah. he, you know he has the footage to make it three hours longer, so Probably might as well. <laughs> and Liar Liar is another universal title. Speaking of the fair, is that a Fairly Brothers? No, I think. Or is it? No, it's not. No, it is not. Is it's it, Tom Shadyak, I believe. Uh, oh, who can forget Tom Shadyak? Yeah, I'll get those confused. Shadyak. Sorry. Or Shadyak. I don't know. Shadyak. 
Anyway, well, the universal Who can release. forget Tom? What's his last name? <laughs> yeah, what's his last name? But, um, and they also issued Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. Those are two universal uh, titles. That's a great movie. Came, came out, yeah. And uh, so we got the Twilight Time titles. I'll run through these real fast. We've got um, The Adventures of Haji Baba from 1954. I wasn't really familiar with this one, but it's um, directed by Don Weiss, who did a lot of television and such. But um, the music's by Dimitri Tiomkin and. Uh, it's one of those, you know... Like a kid's movie? It's a Persian barber unexpectedly lands the mission to escort a princess to her wedding, but uh, mm-hmm. he has to square off in sword fights and keep her safe from kidnappings and tortures and all that stuff. So it's typical 50s sword and sorcery, you know, yeah. uh, that sort of Sinbad type thing. And then you have the uh, the Black Widow with Gene Tierney, Mm. Ginger Rogers, Van Heflin, and George Raft, written and directed, or produced and yeah, written and directed by Nunnally Johnson from 1954. The great screenwriter, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we have um, the Swords of Sherwood Forest, which is actually a um, there was a, a British television series called The Adventures of Robin Hood that lasted four years in the uh-huh. 50s, and they made a feature film after it went off the air, and this is it from 1960. Okay. Swords of it's a Hammer production. Uh-huh. And this one has uh, Peter Cushing, of course, of course. Uh, he seemed like he was in all the Hammer stuff. And Richard Green, the other co-star. And then uh, the last Twilight Time title is Short Night of Glass Dolls, which is an Italian giallo film starring Barbara Bach. <laughs> oh, and, wow. Yeah, it features an, a, supposedly a really good score by Ennio Morcone. Mm. Um, so... Just wanted to mention those Twilight Time titles for anybody who might be interested in those as well. And then um, also have a couple of uh, Shout Factories here, or Shout and Scream Factories. One of them is Valley Girl, starring Nicolas Cage and Deborah Foreman. This is uh, which is still uh, fine, quite yeah, quite good movie, really well well written. Yeah, it's one of the Martha Coolidge. Yes, yes, Martha Coolidge. Coolidge. Yes. And we need to see more of. I'd like to see more movies from yes. Coolidge. Yes, Martha Coolidge, come back to the yeah. to the movies, please. Well, I, I have to admit, I had never seen Valley Girl. This is a Shout Select, uh, one of the their titles from the Shout, and it's got a brand-new 4K scan. It looks gorgeous, by the way. And there's quite a few new features here, new interviews uh, with Martha Coolidge, uh, audio commentary with Martha Coolidge, a lot of lot of extras, very nice. But I'd never seen this movie, and, I, and so it was a blind spot, and I, I did enjoy it. But, you know, I always wondered why the song I Melt With You was so uh, widely was associated with the 80s, because yeah. it only got to number 78 on the top 40 chart, on the uh-huh. 100 charts. And I, I never could figure that out, but now I know why, because it's so uh, prevalent in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Because then, then it hit the top 40, right? Yeah. No, it never hit the 40. It, 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 78 is the highest it ever went. Oh, really? It, it even later? The 40. Yeah, never cracked the 40, which always mystified me. But I guess hmm. because it's in that movie, people have a... Uh, uh, they associate it with the 80s. But, yeah, my sister and I, we always used to change the lyrics when we'd hear it on the radio. We'd say... Uh, I stopped on the charts at number seventy-eight. That was kind of funny. <laughs> I stopped on the charts. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's a running gag with us. Anyway, 
Uh, anyway, I move on. What was the last and, movie Martha Coolidge made? Yeah, that's a good question. Oh, jeez. Was it that sort of quasi-remake of... Uh, she probably done some TV stuff, but uh, was it that thing that was sort of like a quasi-remake of The Apartment? But was it wasn't billed as a remake of the apartment, but uh oh god, I can't remember. Jeez, I can't even remember. I can't either. Mm, that's mm, The last big up. one was of course uh Clueless. She she uh, didn't direct did she, she direct? Or was that Amy Hick Heckerling? That's Heckerling. Heckerling. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Was it Ramblin' Rose or did she Maybe maybe like that, that was the last big one, the Ramblin' Rose. Yeah, is there so many of those female directors from that era that just disappeared? And Amy Hecker I mean, should come back too. I always, I always bemoaned uh, Randa Haynes not making. Oh any yeah, movie. yeah. Doctor, it's awesome. Doctor and Doctor, and, uh, Children of the Lesser God, Children Leslie of the Lesser and a lot of TV yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was. I mean, Martha Coolidge. You know, she was on a roll there for a while. She did Lost in Yonkers and. Angie and that out to sea with Lemon and Math Out. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, then out, out to sea is probably the last thing that she made. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of TV, like of that. course. But, mm. but uh, yeah. And then she did, she, uh, uh, yeah, she did the Dorothy Dandridge TV movie. I forgot about that. So. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so there's a few things there that she uh, managed to parlay that career. But anyway, uh, and this one's this next title stars uh, Jamie's favorite actor. Uh, <laughs> no, he knows where we're going with this. Uh, this Jesus. is um, <laughs> <Nothing> but trouble <laughs> on Blu-ray for the first time. Actually, this is the shout select uh, Dragnet with Tom Hanks. Oh yay! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who directed this? That's I forgot. Tom Mankiewicz, Tom Mankiewicz, right? It's yeah. another Tom, not yeah, Tom, Tom Shadyak, but. No, the late Tom Magowitz. Yeah. Okay. Co-written I do Alan not Smith. mind. I do not mind uh, Dan Aykroyd in Dragnet. Okay, good. Uh, because I, because he's I perfectly the, cast. I, I, yes, I think so. I think yeah. it uses everything that makes him so damn annoying to me. To it puts it to good use. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. I think it's. I think it's That's fun. That's all I, I will give him. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm not giving. It's probably. Him. It's probably the performance is probably closest to who he is, really is because he really was that that kind of uh, into into police work and stuff like that. And, yeah, yeah, he. Uh, I I think that was probably the 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 role for him. You're right, and mm-hmm. it's co-written by Alan Zweibel too, who's written a lot of tele- great um, classic com- uh, television comedies. Yeah. But uh yeah, there's some interesting extras here. It has a, a featurette with um it says A Quiet Evening in the Company of Connie Swale, an interview with co star Alexandra Paul. So if anybody's seen the movie they will get that joke because uh The Virgin Connie Swale. Yeah, the Virgin <laughs> Connie Swale, so <laughs> which is the, pun, the 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 final joke of the film, which I don't want to spoil it for yeah. anybody, but uh mm-hmm. anyway. And there's Yeah, um, Dabney Coleman plays like Hugh Hefner with the Lisp. Yes, that's great. It's yeah. great, yeah. I mean, there's there's some good stuff there. Harry Morgan uh, reprises his role as as uh, Friday's ball, his uncle's boss in the original that's TV great. series, and, yeah. and they bring him back as yeah, there's some nice stuff in there. So 
I would I would say it, it's not the funniest movie you're ever going to see, but it's a lot. It's it's fun enough. <laughs> I'll yeah. Say that. Yeah. And so, anyway, we'll move on to October 23rd. We're we're about to wrap up here, and uh, Creep Show has been issued in a 4K restoration, and this is a really terrific set that they've done. Uh, again, shout for uh, Scream Factory, boy, they're on a roll this month. And this is a, has a 40-page book. It's in a slipcase cover, um, just a 4K scan of the movie, which is gorgeous. I, I looked at it. It's terrific. There's 15 minutes of deleted scenes. Apparently, George Romero was involved in this special edition before his passing mm. because there's a commentary here with both Michael Gornick and one with uh, Romero and Tom Savini together. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a hundred minutes of uh, video interviews with cast and crew and different people involved. There's theatrical trailers, TV spots, radio spots, uh, still galleries, and there's the horrors, horrors, hallowed grounds that we love, where the, the, oh, the yeah. guy who goes and visits all the the and he, uh, t- he's joined by Tom Atkins, who's in the wraparound segment in the film, and uh, they reenact the scene where he throws the. Uh, the creep show comic book in the garbage can uh, in mm. front of the actual house where they filmed it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Wow! Uh, it, it's really isn't fun. Uh, isn't the isn't that the one with the cockroaches in it? And, and, yes, uh, yes. E. G. Marshall. E. G. Marshall. Yeah. 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 God, it's he so, must have hated that. Oh, I know. Yeah. And it's it's so darkly funny too. I mean, I, some of the lines in the movie are just hilarious. Like there's there's Leslie Nielsen who buries Ted dancing up to his neck. Yeah. In the uh, mm-hmm. in the sand for cheating on his wife, you know, and of course yeah. Ted dancing and comes back to get him. But he's uh, it's it's just so funny because his the Ted dancing character's name is Harry, and Leslie Nielsen singing "I'm Just Wild About Harry," <laughs> 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 and he's he's yelling at him. He says, "Your maiden fair awaits her knight in shining corduroy." <laughs> all these lines, and of course Stephen King plays the hick who has a. Uh, a meteor that lands right. in his backyard, and he has these right. visions of selling the meteor and making a million dollars off of it. <laughs> that's that's a pretty a, crazy segment. Yeah. It's, that's it's, a good anthology movie. It sure is. It's what they all should aspire to. It's just so good. It's a blend of great uh, horror and humor. So, yeah. Anyway, and another Criterion release. Uh, this is another one that we've been clamoring for. Thank goodness they finally put it out. Sisters has been issued with a new 4K digital restoration approved by Brian De Palma. Best and, split screen of all time. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And this was his first foray into the genre that would define him, as we all know. And mm-hmm. it's a new interview with Jennifer Salt. There's interviews from 2004 with De Palma, Bill Finley, Charles Durning, Paul Hirsch, and Edward R. Pressman. Mm-hmm. There's audio from a 1973 discussion with De Palma at the American Film Institute. And an appearance from 1970 by Margot Kidder on the Dick Cavett Show. Can you imagine that? Oh, wow. Uh, photo gallery and radio I find I find that people... Um, even uh, that don't know how to read that movie, uh, even people that love it, because uh, there was an article I read just today on RogerEbert.com where he ranked all the De Palma movies, and Sisters was, I think, number one. No, it was number two behind Blowout. Um, wow. And e- even reading his thing, he, uh, it was all very surface. Uh, it was all very surface for all of the movies mm-hmm. that he discussed of De Palma's. Which mm. is a mistake because I think he makes pretty deep movies for the most part, 
Oh, but yeah. you know, sisters is sisters is a comment on feminism, and it, it's interesting that um, the thing that uh, everybody complains about with the Palm is his treatment of women, and yet one of his earliest movies he used the thriller genre to to make a a, a statement about that mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. feminism through the Jennifer Salt character in particular. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating uh, movie of his. I also, yeah. I also find that people don't understand Polanski in the same way. I'm yes. not saying that De Palma is a champion of women in all of his movies. He's not. But uh, Polanski in those early movies is very sympathetic, empathetic to the woman. Yeah, Whether sure. Rosemary's Baby or... Uh, Kess. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I'm just... Uh... I was just so glad they put it out. They they first issued Sisters Cod probably about twenty years ago, and so it definitely needed some work. But I'm glad that I'm glad the Palma was involved in the rest in the uh, approval of the print that the, of the transfer and all that because that's that's good good stuff. So uh, Sam Peckinpah's Cross of Iron from 1977 has been issued on Blu-ray from Hen's Tooth Video. Mm. <laughs> Um, so there, and then uh, another one more shout factory. Like I said, they were on a roll this month. Uh, how about Get Shorty? There's a uh, new um, shout select with a new 4K transfer, and there's oh a lot of extras, a lot of featurettes, about a half a dozen or so, and there's uh, just uh, you know commentary with Barry Sonnenfeld. So uh, if you're a Get Shorty fan, it might be worth it. It does look great. I, I took a look at it, and it's. <clears throat> tremendous transfer they've done. It's better than be cool. Yeah, yeah, that's just Oh, true. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it, Get Shorty, was he still with Sonic? No, uh, uh, was he still... Who directed that? Uh, Get the, Shorty? Was it Sonnenfeld? Yeah. Sonnenfeld, yeah. Okay. I can't remember who did be cool, but it wasn't Sonnenfeld. I know that. Yeah. <laughs> no. I know that. But, uh, yeah, that's... That's a that's a pretty good movie, Get Shorty. I, sure, I like yeah. I like Gene Hackman in that movie, and um, it's funny hearing behind the scenes stories of Get Shorty and how difficult Gene Hackman is to work with. Mm-hmm. I, apparently, he was a he was a real bastard to work with. Uh, just read the accounts of the making of Hoosiers. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that director Anspa went through hell with Gene Hackman. Oh, but, that's too uh, bad. You know, he was like uh, Gene Hackman was like, uh, you want me to grow a beard? For Get Shorty and Sonnenfeld was like, I, I don't know, whatever, whatever you think, well, let's look at it and we'll see. And he said, screw that, I'm not going to go through the trouble of growing a beard if we're not going to use it. He said, I, I won't work nights. You can only have me for one night to, <laughs> for these these hours. Wow. And he was like very demanding, but he's great. He was already ready to retire. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy, you can <clears throat> sense that though. I mean. Hackman's a military guy, so yeah. uh, so he has a very irascible quality to him, and mm-hmm. I guess that extends to who he was personally to direct. He liked to test his directors. Mm-hmm. And if his, yeah. their, his director stood their ground, then he was okay with them. Or if their directors were too too meekish, like a mm-hmm. Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. then he felt like he could run right over them. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I watched uh, uh, I Never Sang for My Father recently on uh, Prime, yeah. and uh, boy, that's it. a devastating movie. 
It's downbeat, wow. but I love it. I love wow, it. a hard movie, hard movie to watch, but uh, but he's very good in it. Sure is. And yeah. Melvin Douglas is fantastic in it too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd like to see that get a disc release at some point, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, they at least released Maximum Overdrive on Blu-ray this month from Lion. Oh yay! <laughs> Bye. I saw that at Best Buy, and I was like, really? They got, like, the super-duper edition of Maximum Overdrive? <laughs> oh, yeah. <clears throat> well, what can you say about Maximum Overdrive? I don't know what you want to say about Maximum Overdrive. It... One of these days, I'm going to have to reprint my uh, my uh, interview with Stephen King over yeah. that movie. <laughs> That's you the should. time he was un- under the influence of more than one substance, I think. <laughs> oh yeah, big time. He was he was definitely under the influence when he talked yeah, to us. I would I would recommend any of our listeners to look up. You can find on Google the oral history of the making of Maximum Overdrive. That is fascinating reading. Um, really? There was yeah the dangers uh, that were on that set. One no. the assistant DP got his eye put out with uh, with a, la- a, ro- a uh, lawnmower blade that. That he told them was dangerous, and they insisted they shoot it anyway, and it came loose, and the guy got his eye put out, and I don't mm. know, there's all kinds of stuff like that, just very unsafe conditions, and yeah, it's uh, it's, it's well, that good. might be an entertaining commentary then, if on that disc. <laughs> oh, I bet it is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you guys remember the the trailers for that movie when it came out? Because I saw it in the sure. opening weekend. They're very ACDC heavy. Well, I just remember Stephen King being on it, and he said, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. I remember that, yeah, yeah. He said it was going to be the best horror movie that you're going to see that summer, and then, of course, yes. then we had Aliens and, and uh, uh, The Fly, at least. Yeah. You know, so. Tough to top those. Yep. Couldn't do it. But, yeah, the only yeah. memorable thing in Maximum Overdrive is the, is the face of the truck, the yep. semi. You know, I heard Stephen King say one time, he said that one of the things he was most proud of was the fart track that he used for for, for a bathroom scene when one of the characters went in a stall. He actually, he actually said that one time. He said, I was so proud of that fart track that we used for the audio. Oh, man. I said Stephen King would say that. But, uh, oh, that's funny. Oh, jeezies. Anyway, yeah, that that made me laugh. Well, um, <laughs> that reminds me of like the George Cosmatis commentary on Cobra, <laughs> which is a movie I love, but I I bet I love it because it's terrible. But the only problem George Cosmatis had with the movie, according to his commentary, was we should have used more dry ice in the supermarket scene. I'm like, really? That's 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 where I went astray. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crazy! Oh, jeez! Wow. Well, how about Cactus Flower with uh, Walter Matthau and Goldie Hawn? That's a uh, Mill Creek. Her Oscar-winning uh, role. That's right. That's a Mill Creek release uh, paired up with Age of Consent. They put those on. Oh, feature. Age of Consent is uh, is actually on Prime too, and uh, yeah. that's a Michael uh, Michael Powell movie, late period. <clears throat> With uh, James Mason and a very frequently nude Helen Mirren, young Helen Mirren. So, 
So she was a hottie. Wow. So yeah, if you want to see Hel- Helen Mirren completely nude, you know you can watch any of her uh, any of her first movies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this one is is pretty pretty memorable <laughs> for that. So uh, yeah. Oh, and Goldie wow. Hawn was just the in the seventies. She was just the cutest woman. The cutest, ever. cutest babe. Yeah. Yes, so sweet. Yeah, uh, they remade Cactus Flower. That was uh, Adam Sandler remade that a couple of years ago. I, I can't remember the, what it was called, but man, boy, <laughs> boy, I, I don't know how I got railroaded into seeing that. Normally, I skip those things, but I remember I somehow wound up sitting through that one. It was really bad, but yeah, it happens <laughs> when you get free screenings and stuff. You'll just yeah. say, "Ah, it's free. I'll go do it. Whatever, bother you, you know." And then uh, then you're like, "Yeah, I want my." Time back. But, uh, well, the Mary Baba uh, film, Blood and Black Lace. You and your Baba Duke, (laughs) dude. Baba Duke. I'll go see the Baba Duke of Baba Duke. Yeah, from from Baba Duke to Baba. Mary Baba. That's our. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's uh, Blood and Black Lace from 1964 and starring Cameron Mitchell. This is a. VCI Entertainment release, and this is mm-hmm. a new 2018 restoration with uh, commentary by Kat Ellinger, who's the editor-in-chief of uh, Diabolique magazine, and also commentary oh. by David DelVal, who does a lot of these commentaries. And um, there's archived interviews with Cameron Mitchell, so if you're a fan of Baba and Blood and Black Lace, well, there you go. And then there's uh, Lady Ice from 1973 with... Donald Sutherland and Robert Duvall and Jennifer O'Neill. This Jennifer O'Neill, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ro- Robert Duvall post Godfather, but pre Godfather too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lady Ice, that's also on Prime. Yeah, that's a Kino release, and uh, so the Muppet movie has been issued on Blu-ray by the Disney. They own the rights to the Muppet movie now, so the original, 1979, the best, of course. Okay. And uh, we're getting to the tail end here, almost, almost. And um, just a couple other things. Uh, we have uh, Arrow has ish- reissued 12 Monkeys in a brand-new special edition uh, with some new extras, new transfer. Um, the Princess Bride has become a Criterion title now. Ah. Um, I know it's sacrilege for me to say this, but I never was a big fan of The Princess Bride. <laughs> Not, me neither, me neither. Like like some of it, yes, but... Uh... Uh, not not overly crazy about it. It's a, I put that in that. I I put it in that category of like the Goonies, like a, a kids movie that was one of the first yeah. to come out on videotape, so people watch it over and over again. It's uh, you know that's what made it. Women women it. who still believe that Prince Charming's out there. That that's the audience for the Princess Bride. Mm. Yes. Mm. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, and just like I said, a couple other things here. Torso from 1973. It's another Arrow release. And um, The Incubus from 1982. This is We've talked about this before. This is one of those John Cassavetes movies when he was doing whatever he could to oh, right. get the money to to finance his own films. And this is a, one of those horror films from used to turn up on HBO all the time in the early mm. 80s. I've mm. never actually seen it, but uh, has a cult following and... Uh, uh, I've heard it's pretty wacky, but mm. <laughs> and 
I could imagine that it would be. But another one that, uh, and that was a vinegar syndrome release, and they've also released The Killing Kind, which is actually a, a really effective early 70s horror film directed by Curtis Harrington. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, this one stars Cindy Williams and Tom yeah. Southern and John Savage and Ruth Roman. So what a cast there, right? <laughs> John Savage. John yeah. Savage is still around. Yeah. Yeah, he is. But you don't think of Cindy Williams in horror films in the same breath usually, but uh, no. <laughs> she turns up in this one. This yeah. is also another one that I think someone is bootlegging some of these movies and putting them on Prime, but uh, uh, but that one's also on Prime. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, one more Vinegar Syndrome is Death by Temptation with Samuel L. Jackson and Bill Nunn and Melba Moore. And, mm. So, from 1990, and um, let's see, is it, DOA. Is it Def, D-E-F? De- D-E-F, yeah, Def by Temptation. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and uh, and then we have uh, DOA with Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. That's a keynote huh. release. <laughs> How about that? Wow. Interesting. That movie's got a lot of, uh, it's not a good movie, uh, but it's got a lot of style. Yeah, it uh, does. Uh, and which mostly consists of like cigarette smoke and and, and streaming uh, light it, coming uh, through it, yeah, yeah, coming through window shades and stuff. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, and I remember there was a string of those kinds of movies back in that day that wanted to be modern film noirs, which DOA fit that profile since it comes from a older film noir. Um, mm-hmm. But that the directors of that they were a married couple. Jenkel or something, um, and uh, and I remember that was that still is one of my all time favorite posters. Huh. I, I I bought the posters. Dennis Quaid looking like hell, standing against the clock, and he his arms are the arms of the clock. Huh. And I just hmm. I just loved that image because it just encapsulated the movie so well. And I also remember that film noir movie, that, uh, another one that they tried to make in the 90s, that Goldie Hawn movie, Deceived. Like, I always put DOA and Deceived together because huh. <laughs> they both tried to harken back. Wow. Wow. We're the, li- you're literally the only person on the earth who's talking about that movie right now. <laughs> <laughs> Deceived, dude. You're, and and you're, you're dude that, uh, that uh, one, another one of your guests that you killed off, the John Hurd. Oh, oh yes. He is, <laughs> if, he's in the... Han's husband. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry I killed John Hurd. Poor guy. I know. Well, and <laughs> I know. And Haskell. Yep, yep. Yeah. You've killed well, many of them. Yeah. Le- legends all yeah. gone after Dean interviewed them. <laughs> uh, too bad. Well, anyway, uh, I got one more title, and this is The Wasp Woman. Uh, Shout Factory has released this from 1959, and uh, this is one of those universal horror films directed by Roger Corman and Jack Hill, co-directed by both of those, believe me. Wow. But uh, this movie is one that uh, is mentioned a lot, mainly for the incredible death of its star. I don't know if you remember this or not, Jamie, uh, being into this sort of thing as I do. Susan Cabot. This was the actress that was beaten to death by oh. her um, by her 25 year old son with a uh, weightlifting bar. Oh yeah, right. yeah. And wasn't he a midget or something? He was. 
Yes, that's correct. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood yeah. murders are so screwed up. I mean, they're, they're, they're wacky, wacky. Yeah, his, it's weird. His his defense attorney claimed that his aggressive action to his mother's attack was due uh, to his on his attack to his the, the aggressive action that caused him to attack his mother was due to the drugs he took to counteract his dwarfism and pituitary wow. gland problems. Oh. So they used that in court. But do you remember, the other thing is he hid the the, the, weight, the weightlifting bar inside a box of detergent. That's what Scott Michaels told me anyway when we interviewed him. Huh. <laughs> and he, and they, they were looking weird. all over the house. Yeah. And you, th- and you think about, you think about like, uh, the guy that killed um, Harvey Milk and then the Twinkie defense and the, yeah. oh, weird, yes, that kind yes. of stuff. Yeah, it's, wow. It's, uh, yeah, that's that's where the wasp woman comes into. Uh, that it's mainly as a conversation piece when people are trying to say, "What did Susan Cabot star in?" Oh, it was the wasp woman, but it's her incredible demise that people remember her for. Really, wow, it's terrible. Yeah, it really was. So yeah, so there we go. Uh, Blu-ray report for October, and I think there's a fair amount of good titles there. I'm gonna I'm gonna defend them this month. It was an interesting. Interesting if collection. You say so. <laughs> it was it was better than some months. Yes. I mean, you know, we had DOA in, in there and Death uh, and a few other ones. And Death by and Temptation. Death by Temptation and a couple other ones. Uh, what was it? Oh yeah, Sh- Shazam. Yeah, <laughs> Shazam. Shazam. Yeah. But uh, you know, you did have Sisters and Creep Show and. Uh, Valley Girl and Shampoo and yeah. some of those and some good TV movies. So. Yeah, Shaq was Shaq was okay in Blue Chips. I mean, because he, he played yeah. you know version of himself. That's a decent movie. I uh, tried to watch that on Prime. Uh, I was going to watch it because Freak it's Freaking right. Isn't that yes, a Freaking? Yeah, movie? It's an and uh, Freaking. I was gonna I was gonna watch it and then I just couldn't even get through the first scene. I was like, no, can't watch it. Impossible. It's really, it's really Nick Nolte that gets you through, and uh-huh. uh, and then when it crescendos and you know one of his great blow-ups, <laughs> yeah, it's a, <laughs> a sight to behold. He's like, mm. he's like a, he's he's what we have left of Rod Steiger today. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. goes into the a growling mode. That's yeah, always fun. How that? Yeah, it's like the, he's like the actor version of Michael Bolton. Like how he has not had a stroke yet or an aneurysm or something. I, I don't know. He's, uh, he's, got, he's got the constitution of Keith Richards. So. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. He's, he's been through a lot. He does. Yeah, most mortal men would not make it that far. No, anyway. no. Got oh, such wow. great stories about Nick Dolte. Like, cause, uh, par- apparently he doesn't, it, for a time there, he didn't bathe. And so he lives <laughs> off the beach, uh, off the beach, and he'd, like, walk yeah. to, like, an outdoor patio restaurant, and people couldn't sit near him. And then and then apparently there's a video of him at the airport where he actually spends, like, ten minutes trying to put a dollar in a machine and he, to get a drink, and he can't figure it out. And he goes up and helps him, and... Uh, he's just a mess. But then I saw an interview with him la- uh, a couple of years ago about his TV series that he had. Oh, and, yeah, where he was playing uh, a politician. And, yeah. And he was talking about how much he loves acting, and he started to cry. 
Yeah. And I hadn't seen that amount of, you know, passion from him for the craft. And, and he, he's, he was just, he's a serious actor. He really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was on Mark Marin not too long ago, like uh, just a couple of months ago uh, this year, and it was a good interview. It was about a ninety minute. He sat down and did a you know a pretty in depth conversation about his life and career, and uh, I, I thought it was really really good. He mm. was very forthcoming. Yeah, about all of it, yeah. short things that mistakes he's made and things he's proud of. It was it was it was very good. <clears throat> he had to, yeah. and I rewatched The Prince of Tides recently. And uh, he's got a lot of habits as an actor, but, but but he's got an emotional power in Prince of Tides for sure. Yeah, uh, he does. that the movie isn't quite deserving of. Prince of Tides always pisses me off because you're so wrapped up in McNulty's <laughs> story, and then Barbara Streisand decides at the third waypoint to make Put it, it all on about the her back per- back burner. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, it's all about her. I said, "No, we don't give a shit about you." <laughs> give me, give me who'll stop the rain any day over that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Barbara Streisand's fingernails take me out of the spell of Prince of Tides. So. Yes, it's true. <laughs> Every time, that's true. Oh, and and just that look of the movie, that sort of fuzzy lens kind of yeah, look of right. the movie. Gauzy. Uh, Real gauzy, baby. It gauze. is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> The thing uh, I remember yeah, most about that movie is me, it sucks. <laughs> the uh, thing I remember most about that movie is Kate Nelligan and the guy okay. playing the dad, the abusive dad. Yep. Brad, what's his name? I can't remember the actor's name, but he was he was good at playing low life. George, George Carlin era. was in it too as the gay roommate. Oh yeah. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not a good movie by any means, but uh, that was a good time period for him. Yeah, because that sure was, was a good, yeah. that was a good role for him, and then he did mm-hmm. Cape Fear, uh, which was yeah. another good role for him. Sure I was. think that's a great that's a that's a great performance by him in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then he did Affliction later after, not long after that. Yes. Kind of another yeah. great. Yeah. So. Yeah, he's capable then, of you know, Tropic work. Tropic Thunder. I mean, that's, oh, yeah, that's, that's your legacy movie. right there. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's enough. You only need one, as uh, Orson Welles said. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I never saw him in. I never saw Rich Man Poor Man. You know, that's kind of the one he made. That's him, what made that, him a star. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I never did. I always wanted to sit down and <clears throat> take in, take that in one of these days, maybe. It'll it'll come out on Blu-ray soon, probably. <laughs> it might. On you 4K. Never <laughs> you never know. These TV movies are coming out because. I know Warner Archives has, has teased that they're putting some more TV movies out in in the next year. So they should put a Andy, lot more out of them. Uh, a lot Andy more. Andy was of a sex them. symbol. Like that's Nick right. He was yeah. a sex symbol back in the seventies. Between yeah, you know, rich man, poor man, and then the, especially the I think on the heels of the deep is what really yeah. Uh, yeah. And and you know that Nick Dolce was like, uh, no 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 no, we're not going to have that sex symbol shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that is I will not play that role. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody would have killed to have acted alongside Jacqueline Bissett with her <laughs> T-shirt scene. And <laughs> that stuff is stunning. I mean, I'm, t- I'm telling you that that that's on Prime too, and uh, these days, and uh, wow, it's worth seeing just for the it, 
the, it wet, is the wet t-shirt stuff. Yes. <laughs> it is prime. Yes. Well, there we go. Yeah. So that's that's our Blu-ray report. All right. We've done it all. We've talked about horror movies, uh, Nick Nolte, Jacqueline Bissett's titties. So I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a full, well-rounded show we've made. Yeah, yes. We talked about Susan Cabot and Death by um, Midget. Death and... by Dwarf. <laughs> dwarf. <laughs> Death by Dwarf. <laughs> oh, God. You name it. We've covered it, guys. Uh, <laughs> well, he was, he was just, you know, he got a better at it. He was just short-tempered. <laughs> God. Oh, boy. oh, God. Oh, man. <laughs>